Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Susan Shumsky. She is the author of Miracle Prayer, Nine Steps to Creating Prayers That Get Results. If any of you have wondered why your prayers don't work or you don't feel like you know how to pray, you must pick up this book. It is practical. It gets to the heart of the matter. It's discerning. Wonderful book. Susan has written other books called Divine Revelation, Explore Meditation, Exploring Chakras, Exploring Auras, Hear Voice God, Ascension, and Chakras Coloring Book. And there's more coming. She lectures all over the world and teaches. She's a doctor of divinity. She's lived all over the world, including the Himalayas and the Alps. She is a former student of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. She has a lot to share with us today about her life, her transformation, the transformation of all of us, and how prayer is scientific. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Susan Shumsky to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm excited about your book. I really am. That's great. I consider myself a metaphysician, but so many times I've been in conversation with people talking about why their prayers don't work. I've usually written prayers for them, but your book really takes the cake. I want to talk a little bit about the context for this. I want to go back to that terrible accident in your life when you had your leg crushed and almost severed in half. You were financially devastated, and you had not only an epiphany, but you had a life change from there. Talk about that a little bit. The thing is that I was following inner guidance. i That's the way that I operate. I live on blind faith and inner guidance. And I was guided to get a job as a security guard at a place where my my trailer was parked at the time. I had an Airstream trailer, one of those silver bullet-looking things. Yeah. And I I got this job as a security guard because I was following guidance, and that went on very, very well for about a year. And then all of a sudden, my inner guidance changed, and it said that I should quit the job. But because of my lack of faith at that moment because I was just being stubborn, I decided to keep the job. But unfortunately, that wasn't such a good idea because the next night, the very next night that that I decided to, to do that, I was closing the gates at the end of the night and this huge giant gate fell on top of me and my leg was caught under it. And I had to have four operations, and it was, it was a huge, horrible thing that happened to me. Uh, but if I had just followed my inner guidance, my, my inner teachers or ascended masters within me, angels, whatever you want to call it, God within me, would have prevented that accident because I was told not to continue that job. And, and even after I, uh, even after one night, I um, there there was someone who was supposed to relieve me, and I said that I had to go and teach a meditation class, and so I did that, and so I abandoned my post, and then I was fired, and then I begged for my job back, believe it or not, going against inner guidance again, and then the very next night, this horrible thing happened to me, so 
obviously I learned that it's really important to follow the still small voice within, and that is really the most important thing we can do is to follow inner guidance. And as a result of that, I was even more avid and more firm about following my inner guidance, and sometimes that's not so easy to do. Sometimes it's very challenging to do that. Obviously, in this case, it was extremely challenging, and I didn't do it, and as a result, I had this accident. So, yes, that was a big epiphany for me because even though I thought I was following inner guidance, obviously I wasn't so obedient as I thought I was. Now, when you say inner guidance, are you talking about a hunch, words that come into your head, a feeling to go a particular direction, whether it defies your reasonable mind or not? What do you mean by the inner guidance? Well, it is that still, small voice of God within, and it could be one of three things. It could be a voice, it could be a vision, or it could be a feeling. Different people get that inner voice in different ways, and some people don't really get a voice, but I actually do get a voice. that God, God speaks to me in a still, small voice, and obviously I got this guidance loud and clear, quit the job, and I kept getting it for several months, but I did not obey. And I kept thinking, well, if I quit that silly minimum wage job, I will starve to death. I, you know, I'm going to be completely financially devastated. I won't have any money. But if I had just, if I had just had the faith to follow the guidance, then, then I would not have had the accident, obviously. I would have prevented the accident. But the guidance, sometimes it makes sense, but sometimes it's counter to what our reasonable analytical mind tells us we should be doing. Exactly. That's the thing. That's why it's challenging. It's, it's, it's not that difficult to open up to hear the voice. It's really not that difficult to learn how to discern between the true voice of spirit and the other voices in your mind. But what is really challenging is to follow the guidance. You say that the higher self usually knows best and that we should pray for something, demand it, set a goal, follow our guidance follow through with action, and expect miracles. It sounds very much like a recipe for a great soup. (laughs) (laughs) Spiritual soup. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is that, you know, a lot of people, they do what I call, they pray backwards. Praying backwards would be like using, maybe you went to see the movie or you read the book, The Secret, and so you want to use the law of attraction, right? So you make a big laundry list. This is what I want. Blah, 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 blah. You make your long list, all these things, these material things that you want in your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for material things, but what that person did when they made their, their laundry list is they forgot one step. And that most important step is to, first of all, find out what is highest wisdom for you to pray for in the first place. So it's really important to ask for inner guidance, to ask spirit what is highest wisdom for me to pray for, and then make your laundry list. That's very interesting. Even when asking spirit for that, which seems like the right thing to do, it doesn't mean we know how to listen for the response. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people about that who may be able to follow that part of the toolkit, but then how do you know what to pay attention to and what has the real gravity? Exactly. So that's why Miracle Prayer isn't the only book I've written. (laughs) I also wrote two really fabulous books. Uh, One is called Divine Revelation, and another is called How to Hear the Voice of God. And those two books 
help anyone to learn how to clearly and precisely hear that divine voice. And as I said, I'll reiterate, that is that there are three basic ways that we receive that voice. It could be a voice, it could be a vision, or it could be a feeling. But when we get some practice with that, then it's really easy for us to to contact spirit and to receive the divine message clearly. So that's another really important component to the entire spiritual life. It isn't enough just to pray. It's also equally as important to learn how to hear the divine voice and to be in contact and direct communication with God. I wish these books were clipped together. How to Hear the Voice of God and a Miracle Prayer Snapped into One. <laughs> well, that would be a very long, fat book. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You talk about writing on paper as if you have unlimited resource. What would you do with your time if resources were completely unlimited and available to you, which I thought was fantastic because most people can't even go there. They're so stuck in their day-to-day. That can help you to discover your divine purpose. If you took a moment to write a list of everything that you would do in your life if you had unlimited resource, unlimited time, unlimited help, unlimited emotional stability, unlimited vision, unlimited intelligence. If you had all of that, you know, what would you do every day? What would you do with your time? Because many people, their entire time or basis for acting is only economic. They, they work to make a living, quote unquote, and they're not thinking about what would I do if I didn't have to make a living. So if you do that exercise, sit down and just make that list, what would you do? Then you would get in touch with what you're really here for, what your true mission is, because everyone has one. Everyone is here for a purpose, a divine plan, a divine destiny. And we can get in touch with that by making that list. It actually really works. I thought that was a fantastic practice that could be brought into everybody's lives. It's great. Yeah, it's something that all of your listeners could do. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that we're captain of our ship and that free will is like the rudder. Explain that a little further. Now, we can hear that conceptually. A lot of people don't feel like they're captain of their ship. They think the economy is the captain of their ship or their employer is the captain of their ship or the industry is the captain of their ship. Speak about that. Well, um, Lord Buddha in the Dhammapada, the very first verse, very first chapter of the Dhammapada, he says, all that you are is the result of what you have thought. If a person thinks or acts with a pure thought, then happiness follows him. If a person thinks or acts with a impure thought, then suffering or unhappiness follows him. That's the kind of a paraphrase of that first verse, but it gives you the idea, and that is that we create our own reality through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And nothing and no one else creates that. As Lord Buddha says, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. He didn't say that some of what we are, or sometimes, or on Tuesdays, or on Wednesdays, but all of what we are, every moment, every day, we are creating our reality. In India, they call that Kriyamana Karma. Kriyamana Karma is the karma that you create every day, 
And the word karma I want to say something about that. Action. I had So your thoughts, your words, and your actions are creating your reality, and nothing else is. It is the only thing that is creating your reality. You are 100% responsible for your life and for everything that shows up in your life. Nothing ever happens to you. You only happen to yourself. One of the things that Russell Targ had said during one part of the interview, he kind of burst out and said, and I want to say something to everybody. I'm paraphrasing, okay, just based on memory, but he was kind of taking issue with people who project New Age thinking onto people that are starving by saying, you create your own reality, you did it to yourself. And I will tell you that for the most part, I accept that basis, that we create our own realities, we have free will. However, I don't agree that kids create their own realities when they come in and they're starving and there's no water and there's no food. And I know that it is said many times, well, on a soul level, you agreed to come in and go through that experience. I mean, if the public takes that view, and a lot of people hold that view, even sometimes I've had that view, then it's very hard to actually have compassion when, in a sense, you're kind of blaming people for their own horrible circumstances and conditions. Do you see what I'm saying here? What I would say to that is that it's not that we're creating these things consciously. We're creating them unconsciously because it is not our conscious mind that creates our reality. It is our subconscious mind, and that is our most deep, most profound conviction. And that is the entire basis of scientific prayer, which is what, which is the method that's taught in this book, Miracle Prayer. And that is the, the understanding that we are creating our reality, not consciously, but subconsciously. So our deepest belief about ourselves, if we believe that we're unworthy, if we believe that we are worthless, then we will be in a circumstance where we are treated worthless. So it's really important for us to do our best to get in touch with these deeper subconscious beliefs so that we don't create a mess of our lives, so that we can take command of our life, take control of our destiny, and begin to create what we want in our lives. Obviously, I believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I do too. And that is the reason why I see that there could be a child who is in dire circumstances because they either agreed to that or they had a certain belief about themselves in a past life that has created this, this circumstance. Now, it's also important for everyone to realize that that does not, uh, that we're not now, we are exempt from compassion, exempt from charity, exempt from being, being a kind to others just because they're in a dire circumstance. I mean, the fact is that is really important. Uh, compassion is an extremely important part of the spiritual path. I was doing an interview two weeks ago with Dr. Bruce Lipton of his book, The Biology of Belief, and the new book that just came out, Spontaneous Evolution. And he was adamant about the power of belief, very much like what you're talking about. By the time we're six years old, our programs are already in the subconscious. So there's a lot of people that agree with you about the subconscious. But then with scientific prayer, people should be able to somehow transmute that subconscious. Talk a little bit about that, how people can transmute their programs. Right. 
The thing about the scientific prayer method that's different than other methods of prayer yes, that included within the format of the prayer, and it's a nine-step formula, one of, that, one of those steps is what, what I call the healing step. And during that step, we are speaking healing prayers, such as releasing limiting negative thoughts and replacing them with positive ones, which is the prayer that's used most often in this, in this section. So what we're doing is we're getting in touch with the limiting beliefs, habits, and conditions that have prevented us from achieving our goal, whatever that goal is, because obviously every prayer has a goal. There's a reason to pray. So when you release, heal, and transmute the limiting beliefs, habits, and conditions that have prevented you or stopped you from achieving your goal, then you will have your goal. It's really that simple because obviously people only pray for things that they don't have and things that it's difficult for them to get. Uh, If a person can just go down to the grocery store and buy a quart of milk, they're not going to pray for a quart of milk. But if a person has a very difficult relationship with someone that they would like to heal, then obviously they're going to pray for that. And by praying for that, it will produce the result they want to achieve as long as they come to that conviction, what I call conviction, which is that new belief. Scientific prayer is about changing your mind. It's about changing your beliefs. That's what it is. It's not about begging some deity or something like that. What it is is about changing our own belief about something. Your book is so good, Susan. It's Thank so clear. You. you cover so much ground. I, I want to go back to something that I thought was also really, really good. There are a lot of people that believe they have to go through life lessons and tests and trials. And particularly, in my experience, a lot of people that are attracted to New Age systems and beliefs and philosophies feel that they are going through tests and trials and they have to have life lessons And I love that you talked about that you don't have to buy into all that. You can have what you want right now. You don't have to create a law of punishment. Talk about that. This is so important. Right. The thing is that we create our own reality and we create our own mental laws. And one of those laws could be like a law of punishment where we believe that we must be punished and we must go through all kinds of trials and tribulations and that God is punishing us, that there's some deity somewhere that's, that's, <laughs> that's making us go through some courtroom or test or trial or lesson or something like that or punishment. And that's just a belief. I mean, it's a belief that can be healed. It's a belief that can be lifted. And it, according to Jesus, it is done unto you as you believe. And when Jesus said that, it is done unto you as you believe, he was talking about your deepest subconscious convictions, your deepest beliefs. He wasn't talking about your superficial beliefs or superficial ideas. So if we create laws and if we create beliefs that are not useful, that don't serve us, then we can heal those, we can transmute those, and we can create new laws and new beliefs. And one of those beliefs happens to be the idea that we are being punished or that we have to go through trials and tribulations and lessons. And that is a very prevailing belief in the New Age community. 
I mean, we, we do learn things, you know, throughout our incarnations. We're always learning things. But there's nobody who is punishing us. There's nobody who is putting us through trials. It's just, <laughs> it's a fallacy. The fact is that we are creating everything. There are no victims. There are only volunteers. We create everything in our life. That's going to be hard for a lot of people to hear. I know, I know. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's what I call the hard pill to swallow. Yeah, that's a hard one. But there's another one, particularly for New Agers, which is dispelling karmic myths. You say, in reality, all the following beliefs are false. One, good deeds will be rewarded. Two, bad deeds will be punished. Three, there is karmic payback, either in this life or future lives. Four, God punishes sin with damnation. Five, God's justice is meted out as retribution and vengeance. And six, you get back the punishment that you deserve. You say, surprisingly, the truth is that there are no karmic debts, karmic courts, karmic trials, karmic judges. Karmic Lords, Karmic Retribution. (laughs) So if you believe in reincarnation, doctor, what is your cosmology with respect to what karma is? Karma is a word in Sanskrit. It means action. That's all it means. Action. So when we say action, we say thought. That means thoughts, words, and deeds. We create our reality through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. So, according to all the greatest saints who have ever lived, including Buddha, including Jesus, it is done unto you according to your belief. So, whatever it is that you believe, that is exactly what you create. So, if you believe that you're going to be punished, then you create that. If you believe that you're going to be rewarded, then that's what happens. Then why reincarnate? Why do we reincarnate then? Because I know you said you believe in reincarnation. Yes. You don't believe in karma, but you believe in reincarnation. Then what determines... I absolutely believe in karma, and I absolutely believe in the law of karma. And the law of karma states, it is done unto you according to your belief. As you believe, so be it done unto you. Uh, And why do we reincarnate? We reincarnate because we have not yet realized who we really are. It's called self-realization. In India, they call it self-realization. They call it spiritual enlightenment. Once you have attained that fully, you will not reincarnate. There are some exceptions to that, by the way. But in most cases, if a person has attained the highest truth, if they have realized who they really are, then they will not reincarnate. It's really that simple. So... You know, everyone wants to know what their life purpose is. Well, everyone has the same ultimate life purpose, although you have your own mission, you have your own path, you have your own divine plan. But the reality is that our highest goal, or that which we are here, why we are here on earth, is because we didn't discover who we really are in our last incarnation. And so our goal is to realize who we really are, to realize self, self self-realization, realize God, whatever you want to call it, it's both the same thing. Realizing self and realizing God is the same thing. So once you have attained God-realization, you no longer need to reincarnate. There's no reason to reincarnate. The only reason we are here is because we're ignorant. Why are we ignorant? Oh, because we continue to believe ourselves as separate from God. We continue to believe that we are this separate ego, this separate identity, 
and we have not fully merged with the presence of God, or shall we say, return to the presence of God. Isn't that why most people pray to a deity? Because they're not at one with the divine source. Well, most people pray to a deity because they're in pain and because they want to change a condition. But I'm saying with respect to not really experiencing God, we're praying to an outside something rather than tapping into the God within us. That's what exactly. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Yes. You write about how grace overcomes karma and working with faith. Grace is extremely important. It's way more subtle. It's almost soft in the manifestation realm. I want you to talk about grace because it's a sleeper almost in the spiritual circles. It's still very nestled. That's very true. And I have a whole section in my book about how grace, in fact, I think it's pretty much half of the book, is how grace overcomes the law of karma. Because the the law of karma is relentless. It is done unto you according to your belief. But there is a dispensation, there is a law of grace that overcomes this karmic law. And that law of grace states that with God all things are possible, which is another quote from Jesus. And Jesus talked a lot about grace. I mean, a lot of his teaching was about grace. Right. Whereas that teaching really wasn't there before that. It certainly wasn't in the Old Testament. That's for sure. It was more like vengeance is mine. You know, it was, it was, it was just a whole different uh, kind of paradigm until Jesus came. And his idea of grace is so powerful. Grace is very subtle. It's very deep. It's very sublime. And it is very powerful. It is the experience of the presence of God which is a divine experience. It's a mystical experience. And when we can invoke the law of grace, then we can overcome all karmic law. We are no longer subject to karmic law. And how do we achieve grace? We achieve it by having the mystical connection with God. Uh, I've been, my book has been reviewed as being a mystical approach to prayer because basically I teach mysticism And what is mysticism? It means having the direct contact and communication with God. Going direct, cutting out the middleman, and having that direct, divine, sublime experience of God. That experience is very powerful, and as you say, it's extremely subtle, and it's like a sleeper, because people don't realize that it is possible for them to have that direct experience and to have the ecstatic connection with God, which is, a, which is the experience of what we call sat-chit-ananda, which is absolute bliss consciousness, or you might call it samadhi, sama meaning evenness, and dhi meaning the subtlest level of the mind, samadhi meaning stillness of mind, evenness of mind, stillness of body, a state where the body goes into deep meditation and into a state where the breath becomes quiet, the mind becomes quiet, the body becomes quiet, the heart rate, the breathing, all becomes quiet, and you are at one with spirit. You are experiencing the true nature of your being. That is the goal. That is why we're here. 
and that is the experience of the law of grace. The law of grace is the law of perfection everywhere now. It states that all is perfection everywhere now. Now, that sounds ridiculous in the terms of the outer life that we live in, in this relative world, in this world of duality. Obviously, there's a lot of imperfection everywhere. However, our true true nature of being, deep within us, there is this ocean of pure love, pure light, pure energy, pure joy, pure bliss, pure grace. And that ocean of love is the goal. That's where we should be living 24-7-365, in that state of pure love. It always occurred to me that the ability to receive is a lot of times dependent on a person's cosmological stance with regard to grace. Because a lot of things come to us that are not worked for, that are not pushed by the will, they're not made to happen. That's the grace. Right, that's the evidence of grace in our life in a practical way, is when we receive these little coincidences that are not really coincidental, these little experiences of of just being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, and the right people show up, that is evidence of divine grace. And when you meditate more, when you do prayer, this method of prayer that I'm suggesting, which is called scientific prayer, which is not petitionary prayer, it's not begging, pleading, and all of that type of prayer. This is prayer that is often called affirmative prayer. Affirmative prayer, meaning use, using statements of affirmation. When we use that prayer more, when we meditate more, then we get into that flow, the natural flow of nature, which is the flow of divinity, and we are more in touch with divine grace, and it touches us. And, you know, many indigenous people are, are very close to that law of grace. They are living in that divine flow. And I would suggest that in our busy modern world, you know, turn off the darn phone, you know, quit texting 24-7-365, find some time to meditate, find some time to go within and experience who you really are. How long do you suggest that people meditate if they're new at it? I suggest that they meditate for 10 minutes, 5 minutes. You know, meditate for, just take a few deep breaths. You know, it's so simple to meditate. Just take a few deep breaths, get quiet, get still, get centered, get balanced within yourself, get into a state where you are at peace, and then ask God or your higher self or a deity that you believe in, ask for lifting, ask for guidance, ask for inspiration, ask for healing. The great secret of having successful meditation is to ask, and asking is the same as praying, ask just ask for ask for a healing ask for a lifting ask a question ask to receive an answer to a question you know it's really very simple to meditate it's not doesn't take rocket science i'd like to talk a few minutes about the i am i want you to share where i am originated from and why it's used in your miracle prayer book why it's so important and why it's so sacred and powerful 
The mighty I am presence is extremely powerful. It is the presence of God within you. It is your inner divinity. In India, it's called the Atman. The Atman is your higher self. And the I am self is that Atman. And I think that probably the first person who talked a lot about the I am self was Godfrey Ray King. And he was a wonderful spiritual person who lived in the first part of the 20th century. He wrote what's called the Green Books or the, or the books that are from the St. Germain Foundation. And those books are definitely still available. You can get them online from St. Germain Foundation. And his the real name was Guy Ballard. And he talked about the mighty I Am Presence, and he wrote a book called The I Am Discourses. And he, his first book was called The Magic Presence. And I really do recommend these books because you will learn about what the mighty I Am Presence, the power of the mighty I Am Presence. So the I Am is that presence of God within you. So when you are using the words I Am, in fact, you are invoking that mighty I am presence every time you use and say the words I am. That's why you have to be careful when you say it, what comes after it. Exactly. So when you're saying I am joyous, I am happy, I am fulfilled, I am loved, you are creating positive vibrations in the atmosphere. Because remember, you create your own reality through your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. And words are extremely powerful. And by the way, words are something that you have a lot of control over. You, could, you don't have to say, oh, I am so unhappy, I'm so sick, I'm so poor, I'm so fat. All these words, when you invoke the mighty I am presence like that, and you say words, those negative things after the words I am, you are creating manifestation very powerfully. That's the reason why affirmation is so important. That's the reason why I have to applaud, for example, Louise Hay, who really taught us about affirmation and wrote that book, Words That Heal, and she, or, and Heal Your Body. Um, actually, I'm not sure if she wrote that, but Anyway, I'm not sure which book she wrote, but she did help us to understand that when we use the words I am, whatever we say after those words, it's very important that we say something positive. And I cannot overstate this. I cannot stress this enough. It is so very important what you say after you say the words I I am. am. (laughs) Just button your lip if you're starting to say something negative about yourself and invoking those words I am. Just don't do it. Instead, say, say something else. How do you get the subconscious mind to accept the I am declarations that are positive? Really, the only way you can do that is continuing to do the healing prayers, continuing to state, continuing to affirm because the, if you continue to affirm powerfully and strongly with your voice, using the spoken word to heal, you can transform that subconscious mind. And it does take some effort to do that. You know, it's not going to happen by itself. You do have to spend some time and take some effort to change your mind but the mind will change if you put effort into it. 
I want you to tell us your translation. What is faith? The thing about faith is that I understand skepticism. I understand people who are atheists, for example, because they have no evidence. They, they don't see any evidence. Then how are they going to believe? The reason why people have faith is because they've had experiences that have shown and proved to them that there is a reason for them to have faith. So that's why I believe that we should take baby steps in the directions of faith and not try to take, you know, big leaps of faith right away. And just prove to yourself that, yes, this is going to work. So if you would learn how to use this, for example, this nine-step method of prayer, learn how to use affirmation, learn how to use prayer, and then start to use it. And then when you start to get results, that builds your faith. And then you get more results, you have more faith, more results, more faith. And with more faith comes more power. With more faith, your declarations, your affirmations, your prayers have more power because there's more faith behind those affirmations and prayers. And more manifestations happen more quickly. And so then your faith builds more. So this is a process. It's not instantaneous, although I'll tell you, there, <laughs> there is an instantaneous result after each affirmation and each declaration in each prayer that you say. There is an instantaneous result. But when you have that faith behind that prayer and affirmation, then it's more potent, more powerful, you can begin to pray for others, and it will have instantaneous results. And it, it will, it's amazing the, the type of miracles that do take place through this method. The method that I'm teaching in the book Miracle Prayer, I didn't make it up. It's something that has been around for about 150 years. There are many great, uh, great legendary people who came before me, and this method has been used by millions of people. You know in the book when you talked about how you had no money and you went on this book tour and you moved around the country, you went in your Ford E350 van. <laughs> First of all, talk about what happened when you had no money and out of faith, you got in your car and moved around and went in your Ford around the country. Talk about that. I did something similar. I flew all over the country and raised $75,000 starting with $100 in my pocket, no place to live and no place to go home to and got on a plane and left. That's impressive. I actually. did that. Yeah, no, I did. The story of what happened to me to get to that point, unbelievable. It belongs in a comedy action thriller. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about your thing. But I wanted you to know I could relate so much. Yeah. Talk about what you did. Well, you know, there's a reason why I live on inner guidance and blind faith and why I trust the still small voice within me. And that is because as we were just talking about faith, we're talking about how faith builds. Well, faith builds when you listen to that inner voice, you do what you're guided to do, and then a miracle happens. And then you listen to the inner voice, and you do what you're guided to do, and then another miracle happens, and it continues like that, and it builds over and over and over again. And it was a time when I had to go on a bus, on a uh, tour to promote my book, and I was guided to go to 
these expos that are extremely expensive to rent a booth at the expos and to speak at these expos and to go all around the country speaking at these expos in these booths and so on and so on. And I didn't have any money. I had hardly any money. But just out of blind faith, I just got in that van and I just started to travel all around and do that. And somehow, from uh, as if out of the sky, money would come and I would be able to continue on this path. And it's really living on total blind faith. And living on inner guidance and blind faith is kind of like jumping off of cliffs because you know when you jump off of a cliff, either... There's no net. Yeah, there's no (laughs) net. So either God is going to catch you or you're going to have to learn how to fly real fast. So that's what I did. I just jumped off these cliffs and just followed the guidance, followed the guidance, followed the guidance. And I've... And that's the way I've really been living ever since I learned how to listen to the still, small voice of God within. And I learned it actually quite late in my life. It was already, I don't know, um, I don't know exactly what age, but it was 1989 that I learned this method of listening to the divine voice. And since then, I have really done my best to listen to that voice and follow the guidance. And believe me, it's challenging. It's not, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it does require faith and it requires effort. And it is challenging for the following reason. And that is that God wants us to grow, to expand, to become all that we can be. So the assignments that we're given when we are when we follow that guidance it's going to be something that will stretch your envelope that will make you expand because God wants you to grow and to expand and to stretch your envelope so so therefore you'll be you might be guided to do things that are challenging and but when you do them <laughs> if you're willing to do them then it will be very miraculous I, I totally can't agree. say that I have mastered this. It's, <laughs> it's still challenging, and so it's difficult sometimes to follow that divine voice. It's very true. <laughs> you said that money would come in at the 11th hour, 59th minute. Right. That's I'm a scream. The, I love it. Yeah, that it just following the guidance, trusting, following the guidance, trusting, and then the money would be there for me to pay for the next booth at the next next expo. What can I say? You know, it's just... You know what I call it? Need to know financing. <laughs> you need to know financing, right. Yeah, like you only need to know at the final minute. You don't right, get any exactly. advance warning. It's unbelievable. On a need to know basis. Exactly. My parents thought I was absolutely out of my mind when I did this back in my 30s. Well, everyone thinks that one is out of their mind if they're listening to the voice of God because who listens to the voice of God? Only people in straitjackets. In insane asylums. Yeah. I'll tell you, though, I met incredible people. I was hosted all over the United States. Doors opened up all over the place. I didn't have a traditional home or apartment. In other words, I was on the road for quite a while. Actually, I have been on the road since 1989. I've lived in a van, a trailer, or a motorhome since 1989 because that's what I was guided to do. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be guided to, 
to sell their house and go live in a motorhome. Indeed. But that's my path. That's what I was guided to do. And you'll find that your life is going to become quite amazing and quite adventurous and quite wonderful if you start to listen to that divine voice. I'm scared to go meditate now. I, I, <laughs> I mean, if they took me around the United States the way they did years ago, I mean, I had to really get grounded and come back to reality. You know, I'm scared of the next round. <laughs> exactly. I think and they're sending me to it's Europe. It's so important for us if we're going to follow this path, if we're going to listen to the still small voice of God within, then it's a good idea to, if you're going to ask a question of spirit, to be willing to hear the answer. You know, don't even bother to ask the question if you don't want to know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I asked a question many, many years ago about how to solve a big worldwide problem. And yes. for 15 years, I was on the road meeting people. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh my so I'm very careful when I ask a question. <laughs> Scared to death. I told Thich Nahan, you know, I have to tell you, there's something sneaky about asking a question because the question sends you out on a wild adventure. You better That's be prepared. Right. The questions are like transportation. It's like having your own plane, you know. <laughs> I know that you talked also about original sin. I'm really glad you talked about it because I think that a lot of us have ingested that just by being born, we're bad. I want you to talk a minute about that. I think it's important that a lot of people who love Jesus and love the teachings of Jesus or even the Hebrew Bible, have somehow ingested that there's something wrong about our being born, we fell out of grace with God. That cosmology can also shape the way we solve problems, the way we exactly. listen. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so everybody has a, I shouldn't say everybody, many people have a misunderstanding of what is meant by us falling out of grace with God. So the thing is that it's true that we did fall out of grace with God, but the story of the Garden of Eden is vastly misunderstood, and people have their own weird interpretations of what that story means. People think that it means that they had sex, uh, and that sex is the original sin, but in fact, the original sin, or the sin, the reason why we are, have incarnated is because we didn't realize God, as I mentioned earlier in the call. And that is that, okay, the Garden of Eden is an allegory. You know, it's not to be taken literally. And it means that we should be, at all times, living in a state of grace. We should be living in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden means that we are living in a, in a state of oneness with God, that we are merged with God, that we are living in the heart of God, that we are living in the house of the Lord, so to speak. So that means that we are following our divine guidance, that we are, that we are in fact, merged with God, that we have realized ourselves as God, that we know who we truly are, and we have, we have attained full, full divine realization. We have realized that we are in the presence of God all the time. And that's what you could say, Adam, Eve, were in that state of grace. They were living in, in paradise. And paradise is not a place. Paradise is in your mind. It is your own experience. It is a higher level of consciousness. So we have fallen from, you could say, we've fallen out of that and into duality, Okay, we ate of the fruit 
of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It means we have tasted of duality. We've created duality in our minds, good and evil. Good and evil represent duality. So when we fall out of oneness, we're no longer in oneness, which is the the state of Eden. The state of Eden is a state of oneness. And then we eat of that tree of good and evil, meaning we realize now or we have have fallen into the state of duality. The state of duality is the separation between ourselves and God. It is when we decide that we are a separate entity, the I is created, I meaning the letter I, which means our own individual identity, our own ego gets created, and we are no longer in paradise because we are no longer one with God. So that is what happens. And then we are banished from the garden. We're no longer in paradise. And we're living in hell, basically. Living in the ego is living in hell. But returning to God through meditation, through prayer, you can return to God and you can experience yourself as God, and then you're living in paradise. You're back to Eden. So it's really that simple. And the original sin, what is people... They don't really get it. But the original sin would be to fall out of that state of grace and to live in duality, to live in hell, to not be in Eden any longer. That is sin because you are, it is well, sin, self-inflicted nonsense, S-I-N, self-inflicted nonsense. So we have inflicted upon ourselves the idea of duality and we're no longer one with God. That was so eloquent. Thank you. What you just distilled represented a lot of years of sitting with things and making distinctions and discerning. I can yeah, tell. well, the thing is that this, this is well understood in the East. It just isn't understood in the West. You say that there's a distinction between who I think I am and who I really am. Yes. Speak about that because that kind of puts the final touches on this. Exactly. So who you really are is different than who you think you are. Who you think you are is this body, this ego, this, uh, this height, this weight, uh, having this bank account, living in this house with these children, with these parents. This is identification. And by the way, identification is a kind of a psychological term. Identification of yourself as these things. Identification of yourself as this history thinking that you are these things, but that is not who you really are. Who you really are is inner divinity. Who you really are is a divine, mighty, powerful, spiritual being who happens to be in this body temporarily and who is unlimited, who has all possibilities and who is divine. That's who you really are, but we identify ourselves as something other than that And that is the fall from grace. That is the belief in separation, the belief in duality. If we can return to that state of Eden, return to the state of oneness with God, knowing who we really are, then we are living no longer under the law of karma. We're living under the law of grace. And we are dwelling in that perfect presence of God. And when I say God... Okay, don't get hung up on some Santa Claus idea of God. This is pure energy, pure divinity, wholeness, oneness, 
the absolute reality. That was so eloquent. I want to wrap up this hour with you by asking you to share a little bit about what it was like to be on the personal staff of the Maharishi's organization and what it was like to live in the Himalayas and the Alps. Right. So I've been practicing disciplines for about 45 years, and I was in the ashram of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the guru of the Beatles and of Deepak Chopra, and I was on his personal staff for seven years. And living in the ashram was a wonderful experience. It's an experience of great inner happiness and peace and bliss and all of that. And and I had wonderful experiences. I used to meditate anywhere from five to 20 hours a day when I was in the ashram. I used to go into my room and I would not appear for up to eight weeks at a time. I would have the food brought to the door. I used to observe silence and not utter a word for up to four months at a time. I used to fast for up to two months at a time, practice celibacy for decades, so on, so on. So that was what it was like to be in the ashram. But to be in the ashram was to be to have that experience of great bliss, of great inner peace from the meditation, from all the meditation I did, and also from being in the presence of a great holy saint, which was really powerful. And, But, you know, this was, we were pioneers in the spiritual field. It was way back when, a long time ago, it was, this was the 1960s and the 1970s, and it was a time when we really needed, this world needed to change. And we were the pioneers doing the doing the, the the work where we were like cutting the pathway through the jungle with our scythes. And so we needed to do all that meditation. It's not necessary for people to do that all that meditation now. You can experience and have sublime divine experiences in just a few minutes now because the world has lifted so much. The entire world, the consciousness of the world is so changed now that it's not necessary for all of you to go live in an ashram to have these experiences. You can have these experiences in your own home, in a quiet place, or going outside next to a quiet pond or lake or river or or in the forest or wherever. And you can have beautiful experiences of divinity by yourself because the atmosphere is ready for that. It's ripe for that at this time. We're in a different era, and we can all have this sublime experience right here, right now, just by asking for it. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. And I appreciate your book, Miracle Prayer, Nine Steps to Creating Prayers That Get Results. I look forward to reading your other books. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show and for persevering for the scheduling of it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, it's my complete pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Dr. Susan Shumsky. She is the author of Miracle Prayer, Nine Steps to Creating Prayers that Get Results, and many more books. You can reach her by going to divinerevelation.org. Thank you so much, Susan. You're welcome.